Welcome to Crossbridge Brickle's weekly podcast. Whether you are listening to us for the first time or revisiting a previously heard message, thank you time that you spend with us helps connect your life to the way of Jesus. Every week we gather in the south end of downtown Miami in the financial district of Brickell. If you're in Miami or coming to Miami to visit, make sure to join us Sunday nights at 5 o'clock at 1770 Brickell Avenue. Included with the podcast today, we want to provide online notes for you to follow along with the message through the Bible app, as well as our Spotify playlist to listen to our music played during our gathering on the weekends. All of this information is found in the description of this week's podcast. If you have any questions about Crossbridge, Jesus, or faith in general, we would love to hear from you, and the easiest way to connect with us is by emailing us at brickle at crossbridgemiami.com or send us a text to our text-in number at 305 305- Nine three zero seven zero zero six. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And now here's this week's message from Cross. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time tonight as we gather just a few days before Christmas, a holiday that we all look forward to as we surround ourselves with family and friends, as many of us prepare even tomorrow or Tuesday to fly out to to see family and friends that we haven't seen in a while and to have some time off of work. Uh, Lord, you uh, remind us in this space and this time, not just of the blessings that we've been given here and now, but of the eternal blessing that we've been given because Jesus came, because he was born 2,000 years ago and he lived a life uh, that we couldn't and he died a death that we deserve so that through faith we might receive salvation and we might receive joy. And Lord, we know many of us are bringing pain and difficulty into this season and so we, we pray, Lord, as Stephanie shared earlier, that we would sense your, your peace and your hope and your comfort in this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I don't know if you guys realize this. You do because we've been mentioning it throughout the service, but Christmas Eve is in two days. <laughs> two days. And then the day after Christmas Eve is Christmas Day. That's three days. That's math. Uh, every year this happens where Christmas Eve is coming, and I think to myself, how did it get here? Like, every, uh, throughout the year, I'm thinking, oh, okay, it's July, it's halfway to Christmas, it's September, 
it's about a month before people start putting decorations up and talking about Christmas. Christmas is always coming. It's always, you know, kind of barreling down at the end of the year. And we arrive here and it's two days from now. And many of us have been around the church. Maybe you've heard the Christmas story, and you know all the different elements of the story, and you know the central figure. When you think about Christmas, the first person you think about is Jesus. He's the central figure of the story. It is his story. It's his birth story. And the second person you think about is who? Mary. Mary. You get a prize in the front row. Mary. Right Before everyone else, before the wise men and the shepherds and Joseph and the angel or King Herod, you think of Mary because Mary is the mother of God. She's the mother of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. She's the second central figure of the story after Jesus. And the reason we think of Mary is because Mary is an unlikely mother for the Messiah, for the Son of God, very unlikely. And Mary is exceptional. She is an exceptional woman. In fact, that has been so true that for the past 2,000 years, many Christians and many churches and denominations have ascribed a mythical divine-like status to Mary because of how exceptional she is. Many of you were raised Roman Catholic, and you have prayed to Mary. You You have lit a candle at the altar to Mary. You have worshiped Mary because she is exceptional. She is a saint. Now, we do not believe that you are to pray to Mary or to worship Mary because she is a human. Like the Apostle Paul, like Peter, like all of the saints, we worship God alone and we pray to God alone, and that's the beauty of the gospel of grace is that we have full access to God. We don't worship human beings, we worship God. However, though we do not worship Mary and we don't pray to Mary, we honor Mary because she's exceptional. She is an amazing woman that we can learn a lot from. Some 2,000 years ago, Mary, around 13 years old, is kind of minding her own business. She's living an average life really a below average life in a town called Nazareth, and she's engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph and her are engaged. It's a little bit more of a binding contract than our engagement. It's almost like marriage, but they're still waiting. They're still living separately. They're not sleeping together. They're not sharing resources yet until the wedding day. But Mary, 13 years old, is excited. You can imagine She's thinking about what the wedding's going to be like. She's having conversations with her parents. She has a budget, but she keeps asking her dad for a little bit more because she wants to get the band from the other town in. They're going to have a little bit extra dance time. It's going to be a really incredible experience. And out of nowhere, as Mary is preparing for what is coming and her whole life is before her. She sees a vision for what's going to kind of take shape and she knows that she's going to marry Joseph and he's a carpenter and they're going to have great furniture. (laughs) Out of nowhere, an angel shows up and Mary is afraid. I mean, I just want you to take a moment. Don't just read the story. Imagine out of nowhere, an angel shows up before you. Your first reaction is going to be to like step back fearful. She's fearful, but we see a glimpse of her personality when the angel shows up and intervenes with Mary. She's fearful, a bit troubled, but then she begins to analyze why is the angel here. See, Mary is very analytical. 
The, the angel shows up. Mary is a little bit fearful, and the angel says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. As Mary is troubled, now she begins to analyze, why am I favored? I mean, who am I? I'm a 13-year-old girl who's engaged, about to get married in a town called Nazareth. I, I mean, why am I favored? And she is pondering. It says that she's discerning the greeting of the angel, the announcement of the angel. And the angel says, oh, let me explain. Okay, I, I can see that you're wrestling this through. You're processing this. God has shown you favor, and then he begins to explain, you are going to have a child. You're going to be with child, and it's going to be a son, and you're going to name him Jesus because he is the promised one, the son of God, who will take over the throne of David and establish a kingdom that has no end. This is the Messiah that has been promised since the beginning of God's word, all the way back into Genesis 3, the promised Messiah, we see at the beginning of human civilization, there is one promise that will come. And this has begun to unfold all throughout the scriptures. As Mary knew, as a Jewish woman, she knew the promises of the Messiah. And the angel says, you are going to have a son. The son is going to be named Jesus. It's the son of God, the promised Messiah, who's going to take over the throne of David and establish this eternal kingdom that you have been looking forward to, along with everyone else following God's word. Mary is analyzing this. She's processing. Wait, first off, how am I favored? Second, why am I chosen? Cho- how, how could I be the one chosen to bear the Son of God, the Most High, is going to establish this kingdom? She's probably thinking about how it's going to affect her life. But then she says this, hey, um, before we get too far down this announcement, angel, um, I'm a virgin. <laughs> Little problem. So are we waiting? Like, what's happening here? I'm engaged. We're, we're not sleeping together yet. When we get married, then is that when it's going to take place? Because that's a little bit of a problem for this whole plan about me conceiving a child. And the angel says, listen, that's nothing to God. Your virginity is nothing to God. Nothing is impossible with God. In fact, you are going to conceive now. While you're a virgin, the Holy Spirit is going to give you a child, and the child is going to be the Son of God. And as she's processing all of this, wait, I'm, so I'm going to be pregnant, but I'm a virgin because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is going to conceive this child in my womb. And then the angel says, listen, I'm also going to share with you a sign. There's going to be a sign of God's faithfulness and his power and what he's doing. And that is your, your cousin, Elizabeth, the one that you know that's barren and your family's been praying for her and it's been really difficult, Elizabeth. She's also pregnant because God has opened her womb and done a miracle in her life as well. Hearing all of this, Mary then responds to the angel and says, I'm a servant of God. Let it be according to his word. Unbelievable. I mean, you have to process what she's going through here. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. An angel has shown up and revolutionized her life. Her entire life trajectory is different now. She is going to be pregnant as a virgin 
engaged. And the child is going to be named Jesus, the Son of God, the Most High, the promised Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And she responds by saying, I'm a servant of God. Let it be according to his word. You see, we have to consider what has taken place here in Mary's life. The change that's undergone. We read this sometimes, we're like, wow, it's amazing, that's great. But it is exceptional, her response. See, Mary is analytical. As I said, she knows what's going to take place. Everything is different for her, and it's not as if everything's going to be great. Sometimes we read and we think, well, that's amazing. She's given this special calling. She's going to be the mother of the Son of God. Of course she's going to say, I'm a servant of God. Let it be according to his word, because that's an amazing thing. She is a special calling. It is special but the way it's going to affect her life is not going to be easy. You see, in the span of probably several minutes, everything in her life has changed. Her horizon is completely different. Her reputation, gone. Completely gone. Because here's what's going to happen. After about five months, she's going to start showing. She's going to have a baby bump. And everyone in Nazareth knows Mary, and they know that she's engaged to Joseph. And so now they're going to see that Mary's pregnant, and they're going to think one of two things. Either she and Joseph did not wait until they were married, which would have been an extreme amount of shame placed on them as a couple that would have affected not only the way that people view them, but it probably would have affected Joseph's business and people that wanted to work with him. Either they view that or they think that Mary cheated on Joseph with someone else. She would have been labeled an adulteress. She would have been outcasted from every friend circle, every opportunity that she had. And then she's going to go around and and people are going to be like, wow, really, Mary? And she'd be like, I didn't sleep with Joseph. I didn't sleep with anyone else. It's from God. What are people going to be like? Oh, wow, yeah, of course. Of course it's from God. Like, not only did she cheat on Joseph or sleep with Joseph before they got married, but she's also crazy. Like, she thinks the child is from God. And then she has to tell her husband. Imagine how that went. Hey, Joseph, um, I know the wedding date's coming up, and we're all excited about that. Um, Things are changing. I'm pregnant. You're what? But it's, it's from God, Holy Spirit. Joseph's like, say what? It actually says in the text that he resolved to divorce her quietly because he didn't want to put shame on her, but he, you know, he's not going to believe that. But then God comes to Joseph in a dream, and his mercy reveals to her that she is telling the truth. He has this vision. He realizes that she is, in fact, carrying the Son of God. You see, it's not that easy for Mary to respond by saying, I'm a servant of God. Let it be according to your word. Her reputation is gone. Her relationship, I mean, she had to have been fearful about what was going to transpire when she told Joseph. She was probably praying right after that, God, please come to Joseph and confirm to him the same thing you told me because I I don't want him to leave me. 
everything is changed. And it's not as if Mary was like, okay, people are going to outcast me in Nazareth. They're going to have this whole conception of me, which is going to be difficult, but we can just move to another town or another part of town because, you know, we've kind of accumulated some resources and we have some influence and some power that we can kind of make a life for ourselves. Mary is from a tribe called the Anawim tribe, which were known as the pious poor. They were dedicated to to following God and reading his word, but they were very poor. You see, Mary has no money. She has no influence. She has no power. And now she has no reputation. And she's nervous that her relationship with her fiance could quite possibly be over. And yet she responds to this news and says, I'm a servant of God. Let it be according to your word. She is not the perfect candidate for the mother of the Son of God. See, if you were to write it up, what would the mother of the Son of God look like? She probably wouldn't be 13. She'd be already married so we could get away from that whole shame and reputation thing. She'd have money. She'd have influence. She'd have power, ability to kind of prop up this child so that he would be set up to really share the message She has none of those things, yet she responds. What an amazing response. You see, Mary is truly exceptional. She accepts this new special calling, this new vocation, this special vocation, because she trusts God. Vocation's an interesting thing. We use that word a lot, and I want to kind of define vocation in two different ways. You could kind of interplay it with calling. Vocation or calling, every one of you in this room has two of them. You have a general one, and you have a special or specific one. The general one applies if you are a follower of God. If you've come to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, and this Christmas season isn't just a story, it isn't just time off from work, but you believe that Jesus was in fact the Son of God, born of a virgin, Mary, in a little town called Bethlehem who grew up to be sacrificed and crucified on a cross for your sins and was buried, became alive, resurrected, then you have a general vocation. If you believe that message, in your general vocation, Jesus tells you, is to love God and love others. This is your general calling. It applies to every single one of us in the room. You're to love God and love others. And Scripture kind of helps you understand what that looks like. You love God by spending time in God's Word, by coming and gathering as God's people and worshiping in church, by, through prayer, through meditation, all different types of things kind of are wrapped up in loving God. And then loving others, Scripture kind of unfolds too. That's taking the fruits of the Spirit and putting them into practice. It's being patient with people, being respectful, being gentle, being self-controlled. It also looks like following what Jesus said is the charge, the the commission for all of us, which is to make disciples of all nations, which that's like kind of, you know, sounds really churchy. Jesus said it, but it's churchy, which really just means that you're to share and show Christ in every aspect of your life. Share Christ with your mouth and show Christ with how you treat people. That's how you love others, the way you treat them and how you represent and you show Christ. Christ. This is your general vocation. Every single follower of Jesus is called to this. No exceptions. And then every one of you in this room also has a special vocation. You have unique talents that God has given you. 
unique opportunities, a unique education, a specific career. Even if you don't like your career right now, it is your career that God gave you. You're in a specific city. You've been given a specific family with specific friends. All of these things in your life, God is using to lead you to a special calling, a special vocation. And maybe you don't see it yet, and that's okay. But you have one. And God will show up and he will reveal it to you and he will make it known to you just as he does with Mary. You see, Mary's been operating under the general vocation that all people who believe and trust in God are following after. She's been studying God's word. She's been growing in her faith. But then the angel shows up and changes the trajectory of her life with this special vocation. And Mary responds and says, I'm a servant. Let it be according to your word. There's a quote I want to read about vocation, which is by Dorothy Sayers. I think this is one of the best quotes out there on vocation or calling. She says, Our vocation is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he offers himself to God. See, her point in this quote is that your vocation, your specific special vocation, is, it encompasses all of you, and it is where God has placed you, where you most enjoy him and you most enjoy what you are doing, the way in which you're serving. And so Mary found that in her calling to be the mother of God, though it took a lot of courage to respond the way that she did. And we see something there, which is that you do not serve Christ somewhere, but you serve Christ where you are. That's a really important thing to hear. You do not serve Christ somewhere, but you serve Christ where you are. You see, if you have a general vocation to love God and love others in every aspect of your life, when you're on a business trip, when you're on vacation, when you're at that favorite coffee shop, in your building, in your neighborhood, with your family, with your friends, you're called to love God and love others in every one of these areas of your life, and that your special vocation is attached there to your talents and your personality and your opportunities, and it's unique to you, where you really experience a closeness with God, and you see God using you in a special way. If that's what calling and vocation looks like, you don't go somewhere to serve God. You serve Christ where you are. See, sometimes we, we kind of get that twisted. We think that serving God looks like going somewhere and signing up to do something that you may or may not be qualified for. So serving God looks like going to a serve project with a local organization. It's about three and a half hours long because you live in Miami. It'll be an hour and a half long because you'll show up late. Or it looks like serving a meal to the homeless community it looks like gathering together with a group of people to do a cleanup project. It looks like going on a mission trip. It looks like joining a team at the church to serve. It's going somewhere to do something that you may or may not be qualified for. Now, all of these things are good. It is good to go sign up and serve with these projects with local organizations. It's good to share and to serve a meal with those that struggle to find food. It is good to seek to clean up and to make a difference as best as you can, even if it's a small one for our environment. 
It is certainly good to sign up for a serve team here at church, especially the set up and tear down team. Can I get an amen? <laughs> These are good things, but however, one of the disservices that has happened is that because we have this rise of serve projects and mission trips and serve opportunities, we think that we serve Christ when we go somewhere instead of where we are. We, I serve Christ when I go to church, when I go to that organization, when I sign up for that project, and we forget that we're actually called to serve Christ where you are. Where are you? You're in Miami. You're at Crossbridge. You're in that career, in that office. You're in that building. You're in that friend group. You serve Christ where you are, not somewhere. Notice, when the angel comes to Mary, he doesn't say, hey, listen, okay, you're going to serve God by being the mother of the Son of God. It's an amazing special calling, but we have to kind of change some things in you because you're poor, you don't have a lot of influence or power. You need to go back to Joseph and say, Joseph, you got to make more furniture. We got to get more money because we got to set up the child for better success. So we got to change some things in you, Mary. And then also we got to wait. We got to wait till you get married so that there won't be any kind of ramifications or backlash on you. None of that happens. Mary's concerned, but the angel says, nothing is impossible with God. In fact, this is good. You don't have to become someone different. You don't have to change. You don't have to go somewhere. It's okay that you're from this nothing town of Nazareth that was labeled as a place that nothing good comes from. It's okay. You don't have to go somewhere to serve God. You can serve Christ right where you are. And she responds because she's open and present and she trusts God by saying, I'm a servant of God. I'm going to say yes to this. It's going to radically change my life, but I'm going to say yes to this. Why was Mary able to respond like this when her entire concept for the calling of her life changed in this one moment? Why was she able to say, yes, I will serve God right where I am, even though it's not going to be easy? It's because Mary knew God and she knew his word. She knew God and she knew his word. And the reason we know that is because after this, Mary goes and talks to Joseph, nervous, but God works that out. And then she goes to visit Elizabeth, her cousin. It's a really powerful experience where she comes to meet Elizabeth and she sees that Elizabeth is in fact pregnant, just as the angel said. She was barren, but now she's pregnant. And there's a powerful experience and then Elizabeth tells her that the child in her has leaped because of the one that she is carrying. And there's this, you know, I imagine tears and hugs. And then Mary erupts into a song. She sings a song spontaneously out of nowhere. I want to read a few verses of it to you. She says this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And there's more. She's 13 years old. Have you written anything like that now, let alone when you were 13? 13 years old. Imagine what 23-year-old Mary was like. 
33-year-old Mary, 43-year-old Mary. You see, when you read this, it's astonishing the way that she speaks her song that erupts out of nowhere spontaneously. These words and this praise and this perspective and this faith is inside of her and it comes out because she knew God and she knew his word. She did not settle for mediocrity in her faith. She had lived the first 13 years of her life trusting God, following God, learning his word to where when her entire life is changed and God interrupts her wedding planning or whatever she was doing and she knows it's going to mean suffering, it's going to mean difficulty, she says, yes, I'm a servant of God. Let it be according to your word. And then she goes and she erupts in this song because it's inside of her that who God is and his promises and his goodness and his faithfulness erupts out of her in praise because she didn't settle for mediocrity. Listen, there is a a tragedy in, I'll just say the American church. It, we could maybe extend it to the Western church, but certainly the American church, and that is this. We will not tolerate biblical, theological, or spiritual maturity in Christians, especially in men. You may think I said that wrong. I didn't say that wrong. We will not tolerate biblical, theological, or spiritual maturity in Christians, especially in men. We settle for mediocrity. I'll prove it to you. You're probably thinking, how's that? Don't worry. I already figured it out. I want you just to imagine someone in the church. They may be a teenager. They may be a college student, young professional. Maybe they're more seasoned in life. Whatever the age as you begin to observe them, they begin to share with you that they really have a desire to, to know God's Word and to study it and to learn. In fact, they've created this rhythm in their life where every day they have this disciplined rhythm where they, they get up or in the evening they read and they study and they spend time in prayer and it's a really important aspect of their day. And they, they've also shared with you that they've begun to buy some books on theological concepts because they want to know more about God's character and who God is. And they're excited about their Amazon list because they can't wait to get to the next book with a title that's really difficult to even understand with words in it that don't make any sense, like hermeneutics, you know? They, they told you that they've actually been reading some church history because they want to see where the church has come from and how it's evolved and what it's gone through over some 2,000 years. And they have a plan for how to memorize Scripture because they want it to be kind of spontaneous and to erupt at the right time and when it's needed. If someone comes to you or someone is in a community and they begin to share those things, what is the first thing we think hey, I think you're maybe being called to full-time ministry. You're probably being called to be a pastor, right? So we assume that you're being called to be in church staff or to be a pastor because you want to read the Bible and learn more. You want to learn about who God is. Theology means the study of God. You want to learn a little bit about the history of the church that you're a part of, and you want to memorize Scripture, you want to do those four things, you're probably called to be a pastor or be on church staff. Is that concerning? 
See, we, we've accepted this mediocrity in our faith where we said, oh, no, 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 no. Like, if you want to like really know the Bible and know who God is and study Scripture and, and pray and learn about the history of the church, that, that's just for the, you know, the people that do that as their job. I serve Christ somewhere, not where I am. I go to things. It's kind of this religious ritual. It's not, just, it's not my whole life. I wouldn't say that, but it's how we live. I was asking myself this question this week. When is the last time someone has come to me and said, hey, Carter, I really want to learn like, how to study the Bible more, and I want to read maybe some books on theology just to understand some concepts of God. And I thought to myself, the last time that's happened was with a good friend of mine who just became a Christian. He just became a Christian, and now he wants to learn. He wants to dive in. He wants, but when's the last time someone that's been a Christian for five years or six years or 10 years or 20 years has come and said, I, I want someone to kind of meet with me and pour into me and help me understand more? Very rarely. And if that happens in the community, typically what the response is, maybe it happens in a small group or in a friend circle, the response by the community is, you should go to the pastor. Maybe they can schedule an hour. There's like this assumption that none of us should do it. It's just the people that really want to read the Bible and do theology and learn church history and study scripture and memorize it. The people that are paid to do it, that's their full-time job. They're the ones that do it. I don't do it. It's mediocrity. Some of you are like, it's Christmas, and you're like really coming on it. <laughs> Listen, God put this on my heart for this week, and I, and I, I had to share it because I'm, I'm concerned, not just for the church, but I'm concerned for me. I make excuses. Do you? Make excuses to not be disciplined, to not read God's Word, to not pray, to not engage. Because it's so easy to settle for mediocrity. Then I look at Mary, 13 years old. I'm like, wow. I, I hope to be able to respond like that at some point in my life. She's exceptional. There's a lot to learn from her as she says yes. Unbelievable. I will serve you, God, where I am. Let it be according to your word. You see, sometimes we look at these characters in scripture and we read these stories. We look at Mary. We look at King David. We look at Abraham. We think, wow, they're exceptional. And we give them this divine-like status. But they're just people like us. Normal people with a lot of baggage and a lot of sin and a lot of wounds and a lot of brokenness. But what makes them exceptional it's not that somehow they're different from us and they're just so morally beyond and so much more spiritual than any of us. It's not that. It's that they said yes. It's that they, they sought in their life to know God and to know his word that when God intervened in the life of David and said, you're going to be king. And then he had to endure 10 years of wandering the wilderness before it actually came to be. David said yes. And we know David's life was not a life that any of us would want to model. He's a murderer and an adulterer. But yet he's a friend of God. 
because he knows God in his word and he said yes. Abraham, God tells him to leave his country and go to a new land, the promised land. He takes his whole family and says, yes, God, I'll do that. Mary is called to be the mother of God and she says, yes, I'll do that. See, what makes these characters relatable and exceptional is that they knew God and his word. They made that a priority so that they could say yes when God showed up and said, here's your special vocation. Here's your special calling. So I know a lot of us in this room, maybe you're at that place and you know, hey, I know what my special calling is. I know my special vocation and I'm trying to live it. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm really unsure. Like, I'm still trying to sort that out. Like, is this career the right? And how do I engage in that? And how do I use my talents? And you know, how's God wired me and my personality? How, how do all those things fit together? You may not know. And that's okay. But one of the problems that we have is that we think that in order for God to use us, in order for God to make that known and really bring this life a joy where we're, we're living and serving and following him right where he wants us, that we have to clean ourselves up. We have to better ourselves. We have to get somewhere so that once we get there, then we can serve God. No, you serve Christ right where you are. All your wounds, all your brokenness, all of your pain. There's a great quote that says, even Jesus was resurrected with his wounds. Even Jesus was resurrected with his wounds. See, you, it's okay that you have wounds. We all have wounds. Jesus says, come to me with your wounds. Come to me with your pain, with your brokenness, with your doubt, with your overly analytical mind. Whatever it may be, come to me with that. The very reason I came on Christmas is so that you could know that I care for you, that I love you, that I've come to rescue you, and you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to clean up and hide your wounds so that you can finally be used by God. You can be used by God today, right now, where you are, with all that is around you. The calling and the challenge is just to be like Mary, to say, God, I want to be open and I want to be available and I want to spend time in your word. I want to know who you are. I want to learn about you so that when you show up in my life, when you bring that revelation, when you break through and alter through a person or through your word or through prayer, however you're going to do it, maybe you're going to do it in a miraculous way with a vision or something like Mary. I don't know, God, but when you do, I want to be ready to say yes because I know that you can use me where I am. So that's my prayer as we move to Christmas in two days, is that you would realize that what we're celebrating is that God came down for you, that he loves you, and that he wants to use you where you are right now. You have a general vocation and a special vocation, but you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to hide your wounds. You can bring it all to Jesus, and he says, I'll take it, and I'll also invite you to follow me into something that is so fulfilling. If you just say yes. Will you pray with me? God, I want to confess that sometimes I put you in a box. I think that you can only use me in certain ways and certain times as long as I have everything together. As long as I've acquired enough resources or, or time or knowledge but that's not who you are. God, you call us when we're least expecting it. When our mind is focused on everything else, you show up and you reveal to us through your word, through other people, through prayer, 
through stillness. That you have something unique, something special. God, I pray that you would bring that to those of us here. Holy Spirit, that you would make that known. That you would move in us and give us the strength to say, yes, I'm your servant. And God, that you would challenge and motivate us to live a life seeking to know you, not settling for mediocrity in our faith, but looking to progress and to grow because there's nothing more worth our time and our attention than knowing more who you are, God. There's nothing better. Pray that we would do that together, that we would encourage one another as a church, and that we would be grateful for even the wounds, because you use those too. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.